six or five thirty-five or later. So. Um, I just wanted to quickly give you, real quickly, um, why, how we got to where we are. Um, most of you know and remember, and those in the public maybe don't, don't know, Alder Cheeks and I put out a violence prevention plan last May, and almost concurrently, um, Michael Johnson put out his own 15-point plan. And as that happened, this group that you see behind us, many members of this group that you see behind us, met with Michael and said, hey, um, let's talk about your plan. We, we've got some ideas, and, and we we think we um, could help maybe enhance that. So that effort ha was, was happening, our effort was happening, and we decided mutually to work together and to come up with a plan that the community could own on violence prevention, uh, and then that would be put forth to the council before you, before the mayor, to consider. So um, that's, where we're, that's why we are where we're at right now. I'm gonna turn it over to the organization, Focus Interruption Coalition, who will do a little bit more of introducing themselves and then go through the plan itself, and then we'll have time for questions and answers. So I think I'm turning it over to Aaron Banks, right? That's cool. All right. So thank you guys for coming. We thank you. We appreciate everybody who came. We thank the community um, for coming to support us. Um, I'm going to start this by giving you a little background information about the development of the 15-point plan that we are presenting to you here today, as well as information about who we are. Approximately six months ago, Boys and Girls Club CEO Michael Johnson and leaders of color came together to develop a 15-point plan to address a string of violence and murders that occurred in the city of Madison. The following day, Alders Maurice Chee and Matt Fair presented their gun violence prevention plan. After these plans were presented, members of the community came together to address the issues they had with the 15-point plan. As it is presented, Michael then brought together grassroots community leaders and members of the community to further discuss the needs of the community. From this discussion, it was clear that the plan was missing some key initiatives and individuals such as myself and these individuals, which you see behind me, um, came together and we constructed a, a new plan with community input, merged some points from the uh, Alders plan and it became the 15 point plan that we are presenting to you today. We are tired of plans being presented but then no action was being taken. What we're seeing, it, what we're seeing was ten thousands of dollars given to this organization or that organization but little change and was being affected with these funds. Therefore, dozens of grassroots community leaders, faith leaders, elected officials and members of the community decided to combine proposed plans presented by Alder Cheeks and Fair and Boys and Girls Club CEO Michael Johnson to rally the city around a vision that would result in addressing gun violence and safety in the city of Madison. The collective group, the Focus Interruption Coalition, has revised this 15-point frame, which, which was put together by grassroots community leaders activists in the criminal justice system, city officials, established nonprofit leaders, and members of the community affected by these issues. The plan calls for investment in key programs to prevent and address violence in 2017, and the creation of a violent prevention office independent of the Madison Police Department to oversee the funding distribution needs for carrying out the action of the 15-point plan called the Madison Alternate Policing Strategy. We will, dis we will discuss 
some of these points in more detail next. But in summary, the 15-point plan consists of um, recruit and train support coaches for violent prevention, recruit and train support coaches for recidivism reduction, Madison Peace Project, awards and protection for witnesses, youth employment, mentoring, creating a restoration center, expansion of community center hours, alternative to sentencing, mental health therapy, lobby for policies that address social deterrence of violence, remove offenses off CCAP, court advocacy, collaboration with most in the Madison Metropolitan School District, functional family therapy and parent management training. Since we understand that everything is a process, so we took some time to identify and prioritize these initiatives into a multi-year timeline. Ms. Zandra Hagberg will discuss next. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Aaron. The overall plan leads to the creation of an independent civilian division working in conjunction with the Madison Police Department called Madison Alternative Policing Strategy, or MAPS. This civilian division would begin in 2018. Many communities have a division similar to this. In Chicago, they call it CAPS, or the Chicago Alternative Policing Strategy, which is their idea of community policing. However, this is a division within the police department, and through our community meetings, it was determined that initiatives such as these would be more effectively handled through a division independent of the police department, but also working in collaboration with. Khalif will be discussing MAPS and the overall vision of the 15-point plan next. I'm going to talk to you about the priority initiatives and how we envision getting to the overall goal of MAPS. As Aaron mentioned, we understand that the process to establish a division such as MAPS can take some time. However, violence in this community needs to be addressed immediately. Therefore, we have conducted research, met with members of the community, met with leaders of the community, met with city officials, we met with the mayor, and we prioritized the plan's initiatives. We believe the following initiatives need to be addressed immediately in order to ensure a safer community today. We also identified the funding needs to support the implementation of this plan. We do not believe it is the sole responsibility of the City of Madison to take on the funding of these initiatives. This will be a collaborative effort with Dane County, the business community, and the philanthropic community. However, after many meetings, we identified the city's investment to be roughly $3 million over the next couple of years, with $750,000 being budgeted in the 2017 budget to support these violence prevention initiatives. The mayor stood with us in support last month and committed to fund this plan in 2017. In 2017, funding should be provided for, one, peer support coaches and specialists for violence prevention and a hotline roughly $240,000. Evidence shows that support from peers who are in a position to offer support into others by virtue of relevant experience, basically he or she has been there and done that, and can relate to others who are now in a similar situation is vital. You are looking at a group right now of peer support coaches who are here today because of the peer support they received in their lives, and as a result of that peer support, have become leaders in this community. Therefore, it is critical that we develop and train more peer support coaches who will provide outreach and identify and engage hard-to-reach individuals.
individuals. These PFCs will provide low-income persons who are at risk of becoming involved in criminal activity, involved in nonviolent criminal behavior, or immediately after they are released from a signature bond for a nonviolent criminal, criminal offense, with securing quality jobs, coping mechanisms, soft skills, connecting them with resources, and providing them with life skills training. Additionally, we would establish a 24-hour crisis management hotline where PSCs would act as first responders to manage crisis situations and be a resource to community members to let them know that someone is available to them at all times. We're not talking about an elaborate hotline or an expensive hotline like the rape crisis hotline or domestic abuse hotline, just a simple 800 number that the PSCs would manage and someone on call, would be on call when situations may arise. Two. Peer support coaches and specialists for recidivism reduction, roughly $240,000. With the same concept discussed in number one, peer support, peer support coaches are equally as effective in the reduction of recidivism. Peer support specialists are critical to mental health therapy and substance abuse therapy, and many states have what are called forensic peer support specialists for reentry and recidivism reduction. However, Wisconsin is not one of them. Considering that Dane County blacks are arrested at a rate more than eight times that of whites compared to the national rate of 2.5 to 1, and while black men make up 4.8% of the county's adult male population, but account for more than 43% of the new adult prison placements here, there is an extreme need for supportive service for when these men come home to our community. So having PSCs that can help them secure quality jobs provide them with life skills training, and connect them with resources such as education and housing is essential to help them be productive members in the community, reduce the recidivism rate, and ultimately prevent violence in this community. Good evening. My name is Frank Davis, uh, and I will focus on points three through eight. Uh, three, Madison Peace Project, roughly $50,000. 50, uh, this is based off of a similar project in Milwaukee where it engages youth to do develop ideas to reduce gun violence. The funding would be used to implement the winning proposals the youth develop. This helps raise awareness of youth gun violence, involve youth in the solution-making process, and develop leadership skills among youth affected by gun violence in their community. Four, awards and protections for witnesses, roughly $20,000. A fund should be created to offer assistance, protection, and support to any person and their family who is willing to cooperate with the police to help bring intelligence that can solve a murder or violent crime in our community. Five, youth employment, roughly $200,000. We need to create a collaborative network of youth employment service providers to connect every low-income teenager in the city of Madison and Dane County with employment every summer. This will help increase independence and self-reliance for youth facing barriers to employment or higher education due to economic or racial inequalities. We also recommend that the city increase its number of paid youth interns to 115 interns in the year 2017. The following are recommended policy changes and initiatives where discussions need to be had, had in 2017. Six, mentoring. The Community Development Division needs to consider mentoring as one of its priority funding areas as well as partnering with most to help training and tools for youth programs with embedded mentoring. 
We did have that. We did have in here that the city provided paid time off to city employees to support mentoring up to three days per year. But after discussion with the mayor, uh, we agreed to uh, take this out and. Uh, we agreed to um, integrate his recommendations and remove this policy recommendation from the plan. Uh, seven, establish a task force for the development of a re restoration center. The city and county should establish a task force to explore the concept of a restoration center in order to provide a positive alternative for individuals who would otherwise be arrested or taken to the hospital because of behavior, intoxication, and or mental health issues. The focus would be more on treatment than incarceration. Number eight, expansion of traditional and non-traditional community center hours. Beginning this year, we need to start looking at expanding traditional and non-traditional community center hours and the costs that would be associated in order to implement this initiative in 2018. We also, we should also bring uh, begin looking at creating a shared staff member position to promote peace, safety, and community engagement, including ensuring funding is available to community-based diversion and reentry programs, lobbying for alternative sentencing, developing a comprehensive violence prevention strategy, identifying training and education opportunities for individuals at risk of entering or returning from the criminal justice system, and generating funds for these goals, which include applying for grants and building philanthropic relationships. This position would be the first step to the creation of the executive director of community engagement of MAPS, roughly $100,000. And I will turn it over to Khalif, Minister Khalif Moab L. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Minister Khalif Moab L. And I'm here to talk about the second year of activities in the implementation of the 15-point plan. Like, uh, like my colleagues have said prior to, don't kill yourself. <laughs> like my colleagues have said prior to, we believe that the 15-point plan is a holistic approach. And in that holistic approach, we are looking at a community that is safer, that is more productive, and that is more inclusive. And that is the ultimate goal of the 15-point plan. It's kind of hard to tell you what's more important. Um, it's kind of like how the body functions. If we touch one limb on the body and harm the body in any kind of way, the whole body suffers as a result of that infliction of pain. And we're talking about the community at large and the community as a whole that is broken right now. And that community functions as a body. And right now that body is sick. And we look at the 15-point plan as an antidote for the sickness and the illness. The second year of activities begin with the MAPS program. Alternative sentencing. This is a, a program that essentially averts, it's kind of like a TAD program, a treatment alternative and diversion, where we offer resources in lieu of a prison sentence. Now we know that most of the people who are in prison right now are there because of a violent crime, a nonviolent crime. About roughly over 60% of our prisons are filled with offenders who commit nonviolent offenses. To me, that's simply warehousing, where treatment is the most ideal solution in that particular case. Our prisons should not be overcrowding as a result of 
nonviolent offenses that can easily be remedied through help and treatment. Mental health therapy, this is huge. When you talk about and when you talk about people living in poverty, when you talk about inequality, when you talk about racial injustice and all of those particular things that saturate our communities, we're talking about a people who are devastated mentally, morally, physically, spiritually. All of those things amount to mental illnesses. And these are traumas that go unaddressed. And in lieu of tough on crime rhetoric, we should be pursuing those particular options as opposed to tough on crime options. Um, so that is essentially important. We lobby for policies that address social determinants of violence, such as employment, such as inequality in income, such as rapid social change and access to education. I mean, these are no-brainers. I mean, all of you know that these are no-brainers. We need this in our community. And if we don't continue to move forward in a direction that implements these kind of things, then what are we actually doing for community? What can we say that we're doing for community? We're, we're, we're essentially saying that we're progressive, but there's no movement. And our goal is to lobby for those policy changes in addition to those resources that it takes to make sure that the implementations reach the community and the people that need those resources, and not just that, that those resources are effective in making an effective change in their lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Remove offenses from CCAP. Now, we know that this is almost like an insurmountable goal for the city, and we know that this is a statewide initiative. However, when we think about the impact that CCAP has on the lives of many people. We're talking about a, a nation of a people that has roughly 70 million people who have been touched by some kind of imprisonment, jail, or some kind of an offense. And you mean to tell me that this is a lifelong offense? This is a lifelong sentence. When does it stop? This, in, this, this, this affects housing. This affects jobs. This affects the normal living patterns and structures of an average person being able to get by in the community. Just something by somebody going on CCAP and saying, okay, look, you had this offense history, you had that, you had that. 20 years ago, we can't. We, we're going to overlook you. We're going to throw your application. We can't, we can't continue to support those kinds of practices. Those policies are, 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 are arbitrary. And not only are they arbitrary, they're atrocious. Court advocacy. This is something that um, we've been really active with, um, especially Jerome Dillard, uh, one of my colleagues back here. But individuals that are ages 25 and under, how does it make sense to send them to prison, especially if they're first-time offenders? Like, are you willing to actually ruin the life of a young adult that could easily be captured at a moment in his life where he made a wrong decision or she made a wrong decision or they made a wrong turn. We want to provide them with resources. That's the future. That's the youth. And we really should be invested in the youth because that's what creates the better tomorrow. We should not be sending them to prison. We should not be trying to ruin their lives with felonies on their records, especially in existence of CCAP that we just talked about prior to. We should be thinking about alternatives that will give them the opportunities 
to move past a mistake. And that's why we advocate for corporal advocacy for nonviolent offenders under the age of 25. Collaboration with most and the school, the Madison Metropolitan School District. This is an initiative that has already been funded by the city, and we need to expand on that program. It's an important program. It's a program that has proven to be effective. However, the resources flowing into that program has been very scarce, and they've been cut over and over and over again. This, this is kind of like an oxymoron to me where we, where we, we fund things that don't work, and we cut funding from the things that do work. That makes no sense. And the last thing, the pocket programs of a functional family therapy and parent management training. Now, we know that a lot of the futures of our youth lies in the homes first. And a lot of the parents, a lot of the parents in these households, they're coming up in communities where the communities are underdeveloped, they're under-resourced, they're impoverished, the opportunities for jobs, housing, and all of these particular things are things that serve to decimate a community. And people trying to raise children under those particular extraneous circumstances creates an obstacle course for them that sometimes seems to be insurmountable. And so when we're looking at families, we should be talking about families that have been touched by incarceration. How do we deal with those? How do we teach those parents, or how do we give them the, the proper tools that they need to be able to navigate through those particular pressures of having a son incarcerated or a father or a mother or a brother or a sister? How do we navigate through the pressures of drug abuse, child molestation, all of those particular things that cripples an individual's ability to grow and develop in a proper manner? We need resources to get into those households and start in the households. And when, they, and when we are able to get into the households on the back end, we can catch them in the community as well if they tend to leave the household. I mean, it's a front and back end approach. And in, in my mind, that only makes sense. Um, in summary, I know that this is a new uh, process for everybody. This is a new program. This is a new ploy. Um, and everybody, some people may be reluctant about the success of it. However, we've done everything we can do up to this point, and nothing has worked. We're talking about a community that continues to suffer from all of the things that they've been suffering from for hundreds of years. When does that stop? If there is no solution that you guys have on a table that serves as an, as an alternative that you believe can be more effective than this program, then why not invest in this program? We appreciate the mayor's endorsement of this program, and we hope that he keeps his word to make sure that every single element and point in this program is implemented. Because from where we're standing, we're at the point of no return. And this is an opportunity for us to move as a collective, to move as a single unit, and bring back the community that we want to see and the community that we believe in, and believe in a Madison that can be progressive and not just on paper. Thank you.
We were opening the last few minutes to questions. Before we before we do that, I'm just going to um, the board of estimates. You want to know? Yes. Just so you know that there's a special board of estimates meeting right now, so that's why a few people had to trickle out. So, not that they uh, wanted to leave. I'm sure they would rather <laughs> maybe rather be here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for all your work and your advocacy on, on this important issue. So I had one question on the peer support coaches. Have you had yet a conversation about whether there is a good fit with an existing agency that would kind of be the, the umbrella agency for the peer support coaches? How do you see, like, you know, if we gave you, like, right, you know, all the amount of money right now, like, wh what would you do to implement it to have the 800 number running? Under which umbrella organization would that be? Or if you haven't, that's fine, too. Just wanted to have a sense of where you're at in those conversations. Thank you. That's a good question, Shama. Uh, and uh, what umbrella it would work under is the the MAPS leader uh, uh, with the focus deter uh, interruption uh, coalition. Um, one thing I know about peer mentoring, peer support specialists, well, first of all, it's, it, it was a great trend with treatment uh, 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 for AODA and mental health. That's something where it's very popular. And right now we're doing some training in the state for certified peer specialists for the reentry process. Uh, one thing I know for sure is those who have been closest to the problems have been closest to the solutions. We've been here before, and my colleague who just uh, left out for another meeting, uh, uh, Barb McKinney, uh, was doing this work in 2002, 2003. And what we're seeing is nothing's changing. Uh, 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 not a whole lot is changing, I'll put it that way. But the fact is, we... Uh, uh, we know the importance of having mentors and peer, uh, uh, peer support. It has worked. We have seen it work in the community. Many of these individuals behind me are uh, products of peer support who have remained in the community and doing positive things for the last eight, nine, some of them 12 years that we've been doing it. Uh, it's important that it be more holistic. Uh, I've, I, I've witnessed some of these individuals going into uh, getting to know the families uh, for individuals who they've been working with and mentoring who just come home from prison, uh, uh, getting to know the family and, and, and really being welcoming to those households. That is unique, and it takes a certain type of individual to be able to do that. I hope I answered your question. It was yeah, kind of and, a long and, and answer. Um, Totally, you don't have to sell it to me at all. I'm with you on on, on on all of it. So I just wanted to get a sense that, like, re like really, for real, like, let's say we approved $140,000 in the budget, and January 1st it's available, right? But we have this system, bureaucratic systems of, like, who signs contracts and how does it, the money gets given to whom. And so I just want to get a sense of, like, Really, how quickly would you be up and running with hey. being able to get our money into the door? Because, you know, again, we'd be available January 1st, but then there is all these processes that, that are kind of system processes so, um, that, 
that I can't find a way around. So I'm just trying to say you have them in the budget. Where does it go? Have you had a specific conversation or where it would go? And then who would manage it? So we actually did talk about it. So in the in first year, the first two peer support coaches for the 240000 we thought would be in way of an RFP, so a request for proposals for individuals that do this work that – can can bring in and train additional peer support coaches, individuals um, similar to us, and then ultimately the goal is that this would be a uh, directive that the MAPS um, department division would oversee, ensure, continue the funding for, et cetera. And were you thinking about it as multiple, or like it could there would be an RFP and multiple organizations could get funded as and not, not just picking one, like you're the one organization, but like it could be multiple, like one would get $40,000 and one would get 100, or were you thinking one? Well, and for or if you haven't thought it, it's I, fine to. We like haven't, it. but if I understand the RFP process enough, we would collaborate or somebody would collaborate with in, individuals that would, you know, be able to propose on that RFP. So that would be what they would budget for, I would think. But I don't know. So I guess I'll put it out there for, for between now and January for all of you to, to talk about because the RFP is going to be written however way we decide to say that the RFP should be written. So it could be we have this amount of funds that we can give it to multiple agencies or one agency gets the whole amount. Right. And so, I, and, and again, I think it would be good to have that conversation, I'm just, I, I'm, I, I hear your sense of urgency, and I, I have the same sense of urgency. So the, the further we move along, those kind of like. And the coalition is represented yeah. by the majority of the organizations that perform these services in the city of Madison. So you have. Um, uh, Nehemiah is represented in this. You have Vision Beyond Bars. You have Voices Beyond Bars. You have um, Breaking Barriers Mentoring Inc. You have the yeah um, the Boys and Girls Club, but uh, Expo. Expo. Okay, Expo. That's what I was looking for. Expo. So all of these organizations currently provide peer support, um, just with limited amount of people and resources. If I could just add to that, um, having worked on some of this, I think, and we've had this conversation, I think what would be ideal is for the coalition, uh, you know, and assuming this would, is in the budget um, and gets passed, the coalition working with staff to help create and help write an RFP um, together. Um, you know, we have to be careful about that, of course, uh, who gets funding and things, but I think the more we do this in collaboration with the people who, who are on the ground and know how this stuff works, the better. So we could have... It, we might be decided that it would be a, a, an umbrella organization that gets the funds and the funds go out to several different groups or one group, however we might want to work that. But I think, and I've talked with some of the staff, I think working together on that, um, at least process of writing up or at least getting like key points into an RFP would be really essential to, to make sure the work is actually doing what you guys envision the work to be. Um, I do have a question for you. Um, if, you know, as, as things go in budget, sometimes we don't always get everything we want, which is part of, of life and part of being in government. Um, so if you had to prioritize, um, you know, three or four of 
let's just say three or four of your um, points, which ones would they would they be? Well, that's a good question, uh, Alder Farr. And the first three points are the ones that uh, we would put emphasis on as far as uh, uh, moving right away and, and getting funded and getting up and going. And that is the peer support coaches for the violence prevention. Um, have seen some great examples where, uh, in, in my belief and my knowledge, uh, some, some of the violence could have been prevented had these individuals been in place. Uh, peer support coaches for recidivism reduction. And when we're talking about recidivism reduction, we're talking about individuals who are returning to our community from prison and jail. Uh, it's something that's already going on, uh, uh, it, but we just feel that there's a tremendous need for expansion on that. Uh, and the third uh, would be the Madison Peace Project. And that's an initiative that individuals between the age of 8 and 18 uh, uh, to develop ideas with what would reduce gun violence in our community. Them working with those who've been there, done that, and, and, and uh, just getting knowledge and, and feedback and addressing the, that gun violence. I, those are the three that I, I would say top priority. Well, um, and I want to chime in. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I just wanted to chime in that we did take the um, – time to prioritize this and that's kind of where we came up with the first and the second year um, so I just wanted to make that point that the, this is kind of the priority this these need to be done all of them but not some of them but yeah. so again thank you for the work that you're doing out there like you know everybody knows even one person out of jail or one child uh, 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 help to avoid jail I think is a huge thing. So no matter how you see it, I think the job you are doing is, you know, is, is very good. Uh, but you also alluded to the fact that, you know, in the past this has not worked. Uh, for some reason it has not worked the way we wanted it to work. Uh, so what is your uh, sustainability plan? I mean, the highest uh, budget item on your plan is $200,000, if, if, if I get it right. So what happens year two, year three, year four? I mean, what, how are you going to sustain this to an extent that you continue doing this program? So the idea is that these initiatives be in the first year, mm -hmm. but that continued funding be um, by the city in a million dollars each year be continued for these initiatives, as well as the direct, executive director of MAPS would be also working with the business community, working with the philanthropic community, writing grants, getting additional funding, and working with the county. This isn't just the city's responsibility. It is a collaborative effort of everybody that's affected and, and part of this community. So that would be the continued funding and ensuring that these um, initiatives continue. Uh, we didn't say that what we're doing doesn't work. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Right. That, uh, uh, it doesn't want, always yeah. work the way we want it to work, maybe. Right. Yeah. That's, that's due to um, scarce resources. But I just wanted to show one thing real quick. Who amongst the coalition is here as a product of a peer mentor? Raise your hand. 
That's about a 90% success rate. 100% it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> So when we talk about um, the implementation of point one and two, these are things that we've done fairly well. What we're saying is, is that a lot of the times um, in doing this, we found that the resources were very limited. And because of those limitations, some people slipped through the cracks. And we know that with more resources and with more funding and better, and better organization, we know that those people that slip through the cracks won't slip again. And that's something that um, and we hold each other accountable, that accountability, that, that creates sustainability also. And not just accountability, we challenge each other. It's iron sharpening iron. And one of the things that I know in working with youth and adults, once they're charged with some kind of a responsibility, especially as it relates to another life, that brings something out of people that just, <laughs> that's just inspirational. And today this is where we stand here before you today. We are those voices from behind bars that are here in front of you today telling you that, listen, these are things that we know can work. We've been there, done that. We've seen the success. We've seen the growth. We've seen the sustainability. We've seen the accountability. And more important, we've seen the miracles of lives changing every single day. Mm -hmm. And as each, and each one of my brothers and sisters, as, as they move up the totem pole, that is inspiration to keep me grounded and say, okay, I have to aspire a little higher and not go low again. Mm -hmm. So one more final question. I know on your presentation you also talked about advocacy, like going to court and advocating and stuff like that. But I think the reality is there are sentencing guidelines. So how do you envision this advocacy working? I mean, I would think uh, no matter how you advocate, they'll go by the law. It's just like what happened when you know an incident happened between uh, police and, and, and a citizen. They go by the law. So. No matter how you advocate with, 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 with uh, the courts, I think they'll just go by what the law says. Uh, well, one of, one of the crucial parts of, of advocacy uh, is talking to those in the legal profession, whether they are attorneys, social workers, and just, uh, 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 or other people who are going to be making the decisions about this person's life moving forward. What we have the ability to do is fill in those gaps. And talking with some of the judges and some of the prosecutors, one of the things that they tell us is that it's crucial that when people step in their courtroom, that they have a sense or a history of who this person is as a human being and an individual, as opposed to just the charges that are before them. So what we do is we, you know, we talk to the families, we talk to community members and say, look, you need to communicate, you need to dialogue because this is an important issue. This person is going to make a decision that's probably going to affect your family member for the rest of their lives. So you need to be there to show that support. So we provide that support, that advocacy. Uh, again, we talk to, uh, you know, I know the prosecutor. I know, I know Ishmael Lozane. I know, you know, so we talk. We have these discussions. Uh, and we do so in a way that upholds the standard of the law. We make sure that if we talk to a judge, the prosecutor is going to know. We know that those social workers, we're going to include everybody. And that's not something that usually happens in the criminal justice system. So that's where the key issues of advocacy come into play. At. Very good. Thank you. Well, one thing I want to add to that, again, it is something that's already taking place. 
Uh, uh, but I think the courtroom advocacy, because so often we will have a 17-year-old in court for the first time, first charge. I think that and in the past it has given some of us, uh, those who do this for a living, uh, the opportunity of connecting with that person. We already have several judges who know us by name, who acknowledge us when we come into the courtrooms in Dane County here, and who will work with us. The, the problem is capacity. And being able to hire individuals to do this work, I can't do it all. I am spread so thin. Uh, but I, I get a call. I, we do show up at court, uh, myself and several, those who are available, and we advocate for that person. And once the judge sees that there's a support network out there, he's willing to take a risk just based on who we are and what we've done in the past. It speaks for itself. I just wanted to add that because it's something that we're already doing. Thanks. And I just wanted to take two seconds. There are other communities out there that do this, that, that spend the time to and, and funding to support an initiative like that when an individual receives a, a signature bond. That person has a place to go to to receive resources, whatever resources they lack that put them in the position that they have to have the signature bond and connects them with the ability to not do that again. And we don't have that. We don't have that here. We, ha we have it, but it's, it's limited. It's thin. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just want to add, I'm Jackie Morris. We owe this to the state of Wisconsin. Everything, the 15-point plan that we just displayed is for our communities, our kids, and we just in a dire straight situation right now. But we need immediate, you know, concepts and everything and that everybody can help. So the council, we here in FIC stand with you all. Any other questions? Any other questions? Thank you. Um, I apologize that I had to step out for Board of Estimates, but if I, um, so if I repeat something, I apologize. Um, I'm interested in this. You guys seem to be very aware of this concept of, right, this is, our shared responsibility. This is these, some of these initiatives might not naturally fall directly in something the city has traditionally done. So, can you speak a little bit about how you might be working with other funding sources? You mentioned thinking about talking about, to the county, talking to private funders, but how that work is going, especially on concepts that could potentially leverage. You know, I'm thinking I work in healthcare, right? We could potentially leverage Medicaid dollars for some of the mental health resources that you're talking about. Those sorts of partnerships. Um, what work has been done there and, and in what ways could we help foster that work so that these are shared funding priorities as we move forward? Okay, so we have also been in discussions with the county. Um, it's also a Dane County um, problem. We have been in discussions with the business community and the philanthropic community. There are individuals that want to support this, these initiatives but need to ensure that there is continued funding, that it's not just one um, amount going out and then nothing happens afterwards um, and we have talked had conversations with the UW the trauma center working in collaboration with them and for the peer support coaches right now there's no peers that go in when there's a, um, tra a traumatic incident a gunshot wound victim and working that can work with the families to ensure that they can connect with resources and things like that um, so we have ha had those discussions but um, the bigger picture of what all is available and needed, we have not 
furthered the discussion other than connecting with all of them and came up with this plan. So if I could follow up really briefly, I mean, so is kind of your picture of this that the city would kind of be the steward of the administrative resources and putting some funding forward, but you might collect from other sources, but we would kind of help foster, foster. the actual implementation actually and then tie the in the other funding sources. It's sometimes the challenge is just having someone to be kind of the backbone organization to make sure that the administration happens and and other funding sources could be attributed to absolutely. that. Absolutely. Okay. Because it is the city of Madison, uh, the community in which we're talking about. So absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? Hey, so I, I appreciate everything you brought to me, and I just I sort of have a comment that um, I think a lot of us, you know, when we look at it, we're, we're, we have our budget eyes on right now, but you know what I'd really like, I was looking up on my phone, I'd really like the state to give us a voucher for not sending someone to prison, because I'm looking at, we're, we're one of the highest cost states, $37,000 per inmate, and at the same, and we don't social workers don't make that much money in a year right right a lot some teachers don't make that much money and to think that we we're, we're willing to send that first-time offender to jail for thirty seven thousand dollars but we're not willing to spend like the fraction of that that you're asking for so the system the system really needs to be fixed so that we get that money back to be able to give to you to use the right way um, but Unfortunately, that's not the world we live in right now. <laughs> but so add that to your advocacy budget, you know. And I'd like to briefly bring this information. The um, state currently uh, has been holding hearings on barriers to reentry. Uh, so there's State Senator Alberta Darling and many others who are having these discussions right now. Uh, and they're looking at, you know, the cost, the cost of imprisoning people. And they're looking at the cost of not sending people to school and getting educations for the amounts that we're talking about and the impact that it has on the state. They're looking about at the impact that uh, CTAP is having on employment, uh, and not just on employment of the individuals, but on the business community. So there's a huge discussion. This coalition. It's not a coalition that's just setting back and not talking to the people who have the capacity and the authorities to do those things on the state level that the city uh, doesn't have the capacity to do, particularly when you're talking about things like CCAP. That's legislative. We know that they're going to have to deal with that. And we also are in communication with the organizations who are advocating uh, to get those things changed. So we're well informed mm -hmm. uh, about what's going on in our city. And we want this to be a vibrant city. We want this to not be a city that just talks about diversity as a conversation. We want it to be inclusive of everybody, not just, you know, people who are transitioning from prison, but we're talking about our Latino brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, because we're all being impacted by these issues. We're talking about the white community, because I know we all want to have safe communities. And we're not here to say that we're against, you know, the white community. But we also know that there are things that need to change to make it better for all of us. So, 
briefly, if I can. We have just like one real quick. We got to go ahead, but then we got to wrap up. And, and not to be sarcastic, but you speak of getting a voucher. The voucher is not sending the person for a first-time offense to prison and having to pay that $37,000. Instead, send them to an alternative program. Therefore, he can be a, a, a member of the community. He can actually support his family. Some of these individuals, they're married, they have kids, they're fathers, they're mothers. Therefore, if you don't send them to prison, you don't give them that felony record, and you give them an opportunity to actually correct their mistake, then there go your voucher right there. There go the money savings right there. All right. So, I want the state to give us the money to give to you. So, so, so in lieu of that, right? Absolutely. So, okay.